Welcome to The Crunch with Crib Creative. I'm Jess, and each week we're going to be diving into the stories of some of Perth's best agents and business people, how they got where they are, and what they learned along the way. Welcome to a special edition of The Crunch, recorded live at RE Bar Camp 2018. This episode features Nicole Cooper recapping our day and talking about some of the lessons learnt. How are we going? The beers are flowing, the wine is flowing. Some people are feeling feisty, I've noticed. People are a little bit feisty, which is good. It's a good time to talk resilience and you know pers- personal action plans. Uh, I did a slide, which I uh, think the team will uh, pull up together in a second. Slide. There we go, awesome, thanks guys. Um, okay, so what I did was go through all of the little answers that I got from everyone and tallied them together and provided you with our top ranking answers. So up here we can see that actually when we sit in our own space and our own day and our own lives and our own jobs and we think, oh, I've got all of this negativity weighing down on me, I've got these problems, I need resilience, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm all alone in this. Hopefully this gives us some insight as to actually you're not the only person feeling that way. So with that in mind, what my plan is now to make this super engaging is to basically revert the whole kind of model of me speaking over to a little bit more engagement and a little bit more kind of case study problem solving of these issues. Because really, I could stand up here for the next 30 minutes and give a monologue over how I would personally tackle this. But I don't know necessarily if that's going to give you the tools you need to solve it. And I actually want to give you the opportunity to rebut and say, yeah, Nicole, that sounds good, but what about this? Yeah, but I tried that, and what about this? Yeah, but also this. So I'm going to pretty much launch myself into this audience and ask that we kind of work through these issues in a collaborative way and see if we can solve them, see if we can go out on this bang, of this day with a bang, feeling good, feeling like we've got some practical solutions. Um, to our problems. So let's just make sure we understand exactly what we're feeling um, and we're all on the same page. So being bullied, being personally attacked by clients and peers, so even our staff members that we share an office with, receiving negative feedback and a lot of that was coming back from like actually going for listings and being shut down again and again and again Um, and just that sensation of feeling rejected. We had staffing issues, negativity, stress, bad energy, people leaving our teams, how hard it is to fill that gap once they're gone and how much work they create for us every time they decide to move on somewhere else. Consistency in personal effort and accountability. So like, how do I actually go after these results and have the confidence to do so day after day after day after day? This market downturn and all this associated negativity in the press just then cascades into our clients and we're having this constant conversation about it. Our vendor expectations are massive. How do we deal with that? Fear of of everything. Some people just said fear at a couple of those. (laughs) So I've kind of put that into change and adaptation as well. 
technology, social media, how on earth do I actually use my CRM, work-life balance, time management and constant calls, dealing with people's problems, emotions, how to build relationships. So my attack on this is going to be start at the top and work down. And then if we feel like we want to dive anywhere else, then we can. I personally want to dive into work-life balance, having sat on the session on that and talked, heard what everyone said about that, because I personally think that work-life balance doesn't exist. But we'll get back to my opinions on that. Let's start at being bullied and being attacked and feeling like people are coming at us. I'm hoping that I can look to this very collaborative crowd who have opted into this session for a little bit of case study examples of what that looks and feels like. And that might just be as simple as being turned down in a listing presentation, all the way through to you know, any personal anecdotes that you want to share. And Alana, no, Peter, my assistant for the afternoon. Thank you, Peter. Has a microphone so we can all hear. Would anyone like to volunteer a story around this? Doesn't have to be too personal if you don't want it to be too personal. Yes, thank you. Um, hi. Um, hi. I think this is a um, not an unusual one for women in the room. I think I'm. I, I'm not into man bashing, I'm married to one, I've got one as a son. But um, being um, in the industry only for three months but had been in the industry for years before and had a big break, coming back this time I felt the attacks are getting more personal, so literally getting a phone call and getting yelled at because you put a, something in someone's mailbox next door to a house that they're selling, which is actually what happened to me, a, a very high-level principal in that's trying to get into this suburb that I'm, I'm farming rang me up and said, just abuse the crap out of me. It wasn't a very good day and I was just, didn't let him know I was crying. Um, but I hung up and just went, oh, my God. But the first person I did ring, though, was another male because I needed to hear the reassurance that mm -hmm. not all men do this um, because I'd been out of it for so long. Yep. Uh, and I, it was just completely shocked me that I would... I didn't think I did anything wrong. I literally mailbox dropped the street, but not on his sign yep. house, yep. saying, hey, look, this is coming up. Blah, blah. That's just the normal stuff you do. And he yep. got really upset. Yep. Awesome. What do you thank, do? Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate the honesty, and I think it's valuable to everyone that we hear that. Now, there are a couple of things that we can kind of dissect here in terms of our response to that and how we handle that. And some of that is in the moment and some of that is down the track. But one of the things that has struck me in dealing with real estate people over the last year or even 18 months in this market, cancer aside, um, is that we, we have, we, we are able to fully acknowledge the fact that there has been a market downturn and that has affected us significantly, yeah? It makes it hard. We know that. We are able to acknowledge the fact that there are owners and vendors who have expectations up here and they need to adjust them down here. And we acknowledge that. And we think about a process-based view as to how we take people on the journey and how we best have that conversation. But I think sometimes we miss the fact that the angst and the anxiety and the fear that's represented up here actually flows beyond ourselves into every other single person who's operating within this Perth and West Australian environment right now. And I think that 
sometimes we don't acknowledge the fact that people can have those really feisty, explosive attacks and that actually it wasn't personal to you at all and actually it's more representative of the shit that they're dealing with at the moment. And in that moment, because we're anxious, because we're stressed, because we've got so much on, we are blind to the fact that they are anxious and they are stressed and they've got so much on. And I think sometimes we need to take a step back and remind ourselves of that, that it's very easy to say that it's not personal and it's t even tougher, I think, in that moment to acknowledge mate, I think you may be a little bit too stressed and I don't actually think what I've done is out of line here and it's probably in line with industry expectations and it's hard to kind of have that kind of conversation in that emotionally charged environment. But I think recognising the fact that everybody is stressed and giving him the benefit of the doubt that I think that guy is coming at me because of the stuff that's on his plate rather than trying to come at me as a personal attack. That's how I try to reframe those kind of interactions. Because sometimes people are just going to come at you because they're not a nice person. And we can make that assumption. And I think we do in the moment. That guy is a whatever we say. But once we move through that, if we're more practiced in the idea that maybe this is actually just an emotional reaction from his plate rather than something that's kind of because it's kind of unreasonable, really, the way that he reacted and the way that he treated you. Um, I guess that, that would be the way that I would reframe that. And, and, and when you practice at doing that, the easier it gets. In terms of the point you raise about men versus women and levels of aggression and not, I would always encourage you to, I guess, and this is just you know, based on personal experience and, and, and my kind of work in this area, is to make sure that if you're feeling legitimately bullied by someone, male or female, in any scenario, and the behaviour that they're displaying is inappropriate, particularly aggressive, that you need to call that out. And you need to say, excuse me, sir, I'm going to have to cut you off right there, because what you're doing now has gone beyond a little bit irritable and into inappropriate. And that I can't stand for. So if you want to have a nice, sensible discussion, I'm about it. But other than that, I don't think we're going to be engaging on this topic anymore. So I think calling out bullying and calling out you know, aspects of being oppressed, first and foremost, has to happen. That's in a workplace, that's with a colleague, that's with a client, whatever. We have to be aware that you know, things can escalate into areas of violence and we don't want to go there. And you know, physical violence can be as bad as emotional violence and manipulation that happens on a phone. And you have no right to be treated like that. And that has to be acknowledged, I think, first and foremost. Does that help? Does that, yeah, back up, Peter, you're at the back. Um, I see great value in his reaction. Yep. She's just found his weakness. She's rattled his cage. Mm -hmm. And that is something to be celebrated in a competition. Mm -hmm. So you could take the wins and lock in the wins and make sure you never stop. Interesting, yes, interesting perspective. And this is, I guess, goes to the way that we think about competition. And that's a personal thing and it's based on experience and some of it actually comes back to confidence and style.
I'll say. So it's my approach to be less interested in what the competition are doing from a one-upmanship perspective because I don't think it necessarily helps us. Maybe when you're sitting back and you're kind of taking stock of that situation and trying to remove you know, some of the anxiety and the angst and the you know, adrenaline that's going through your body, you can say, well, now I, you know, I know that guy's weak spot and, and that's a perspective on it. It's not one that I would personally take because I see more value in, I guess, assessing and understanding the human element of that behaviour to then inform my dealings in future. Because that person is a, competition, a competitor now, but that attitude and that reaction can come from clients, can come from staff, can come from peers, can come from your boss, can come from people who you really need to build relationships with rather than just going, oh, I've kind of found this weakness. But that's just my five cents on that. All I was going to say is I think it's incredibly important to surround yourself with people that you can vent to when that yeah. happens because when it, when it hits you and in the heat of the moment, totally. sometimes you do just need to blah. Yeah. And then yeah. probably the best thing about social media in this aspect, especially from a woman in real estate, and I don't know if you're on the wire, is, is being able to do that and understand that. Yep. And I don't know if it's men v women or whatever it is, but as women we tend to get very emotional very quickly. Yep. <laughs> um, and being able to respond <laughs> like that in that inner safe environment is a really yep. cool thing because then you can come back to what Simon said and say, yep. okay, well, I get it, it's a How weakness. Yep. But in the instant right. when they make the call, it is very hard to, to do that. Completely agree, yeah, completely agree. And I think that, you know, the fact that you can work in a team where you, you know, and even, like... David re referred to that kind of conversation that you sit down and you have, you know, I can't believe what this guy just did and he went off and he listed with this other chap. And we do do that a few times. And that's actually a process of decompression that we have to go through. You know, that offloading actually makes us feel better. And each time we have the conversation and get the reassurance, then it voices us up a little bit more and we're going, okay, no, I have got this. And that's what resilience is. You know, that builds over time and that's, that's, that's where resilience comes from. Um, and it's quite intentional. But I guess, it, you know, like to, to David's point, it, there has to be a point where you kind of, okay, I'm okay now. I can move through the adrenaline of the moment, the anxiety that's followed, and now I can do an assessment to say, what can I learn from this? Is it about my, comp my competitors? How do I make an improvement on that? Um, so, yeah, awesome points. Um, okay. So, <laughs> just a quick point. I think what you're saying is absolutely accurate. But I think as a competitive animal in this industry, yeah. you become uh, an astute studier of human behaviour yeah. and you, over time, your reaction changes because it's not going to be the first or the last time that someone has a reaction that's out of sorts to something that you do in this industry. Um, but over time, if they're uh, a colleague, then you'll be perhaps more like you've spoken about. But if they're a competitor, is it Simon up the back? Yeah. I roll with that, mate. You... you you see it for what it is and you use it for what it is. Um, and if it's something that you can build a relationship with, great. If it's something you can win business with, great. Yeah, awesome. So. Yep, great point. His, his response and his emotion belong to him. Absolutely. Yeah. I have no control. Yeah. So I, I can use whatever his, control, whatever his response and his emotion is to my advantage. And I choose to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. The, only, the point that I was trying to make is that for some people, they can still attach a lot of emotion to that and they don't move past it. They just then come become fixated on this competitor instead of actually redirecting that into business building activities for themselves. And I think that that's the hurdle that I like, use it, understand the competitor, find a way to build business out of it rather than kind of 
Send him an are you okay text. Yep. Drop his number and spam yep. every listing that he gets. Okay. <laughs> and that's a different approach. And this is what makes our industry what it is, right? It's a different way that men and women deal with situations. Yeah. Question over here. Yeah, another comment? <laughs> Get in there, Peter. You'll be all right. Um, I kind of see it that we work in an industry that's highly volatile. Yep. It's emotional, um, and not just from our clients' point of views, but it's emotional from us as individual people. We're all trying to feed our families mm-hmm. and make better lives for ourselves, yep. and uh, comes with that. Sometimes we're hungry, and we're hungry in this market, so we get upset easily. And sometimes it transpires into not acceptable behaviour, I guess. Yep. Um, one tool, I guess, that I have adapted to use to deal with this kind of stuff is I wear different hats yep. depending on what I'm doing through the day. And my real estate hat on it has got hardcore. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, a, it's not a real... No, I'm not hardcore. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's just a hat in my mind. I visually put it on, I take it off the hat rack when I'm walking out the door, I put it on and while I'm wearing that hat, I am in that frame of mind. So throw the shit at me, I don't care because when I get home at the end of the day, I understand that that shit comes with what I'm doing Mm -hmm. in order to achieve what I need to do. Take it off, put it back on the hat Mm -hmm. and then swear like crazy behind closed doors or vent. Do what you need to do. But let it go and then become, put the other hat on and become the partner or the the mm-hmm. wife or the mm-hmm. mother or the student or whatever yep. it is you're doing. Yep. Love and it. separate them. That's Perfect. how I deal with it. Awesome. Awesome comments, guys. So the next thing that I want to talk about is this staffing thing. So people talked in the feedback that I got from this morning session that dealing actually with their peers is one of the most significant issues that they face. And I find this quite interesting, right? Because in dealing with real estate people, I te- uh, uh, you know, bearing in mind that I teach the diploma of property and so we talk a lot about licensees, people working towards doing their licenses, about what it is to manage staff and people and how if you're a successful rep, you're very focused on me. That's your game. That's what you guys do, you know, and, and you redirect everything to kind of that sense of performance. And often in property management, we have the same thing. When we go to get our licenses and ultimately have to study um, the diploma, then we are forced to thinking about staff and managing staff and managing people and managing problems. And as you deal more and more with people doing that study, you realise that people actually are the biggest problem that we all face across industries. So I've done a lot of work in this area. Managing change is just literally sitting down and coaching people with, well, you know, yeah, I I said I would do that, but then Jason over there fired up and now it's a different story, Nicole. I know we agreed that that would be the approach, but the approach has changed because of him, okay? So I would like an example, and this is going to be difficult because I don't want anyone to kind of say an example and then be like, yeah, I'm talking about you, by the way. Harcourt's team, this might be where you come undone. (laughs) All right, so if anyone can give me an example of what it is about staffing that's the biggest issue, what we're worried about, why our peers have the capacity to kind of throw us off our game 
so significantly. Does anyone have commentary on that, an example or anything to share? Doesn't have to be about your current job if it's going to be a little bit too dicey. I'm sure you've worked in many different places. <laughs> Bit of a sprint. staffing, um, things where sometimes it works fine and sometimes it doesn't. Um, at the moment we do have a good team um, but it's because I think sometimes it's all personalities match. Um, the moment we get a personality that doesn't gel then we've had issues but we just get rid of them. <laughs> smudge here, we smudge the office. Um, so it does come down to personally personalities I think. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't know, I've, I've worked in offices out of real estate, um, women, and I'd have to say that's probably the worst combination to have too many women in an office. Um, but then now it is mostly women in our office and it works well. So I, I don't know, um, yeah, I, I, now I don't even know what I was going to say, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the microphone and it all fell over. I, <laughs> I, need, I think I need another one. Another comment over it's here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, no, that was good. That that was good insight. That was awesome insight. So yeah, we we. I, I don't want to sound bad, mm -hmm. but I think um, even with Paul, I've had these conversations where sometimes when he goes to employ people, that it needs to be a group decision. Yeah. Because um, the couple that he has had that I don't like, and we. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to be careful what you say, but. You know, I just feel that in a team, it should be the team choose. Yep. I know that he's yep. the Boss, owner and business. everything, but we also have to work with them. Okay. Um, All right. So I like. I yep. I no, that's one. great. Do you, do you yeah, want yeah. to? Um, <laughs> as <laughs> um, for everybody. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. Do you think? Sorry. This is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I'm sorry. Um. We spend a lot of time at work and I think, you know, you, you think of how much time you spend, I mean, I'll look at my teenagers, I might see them for four hours before they, you know, after school, before they hop in and do their homework and whatever else. You spend a lot more time with the people in your offices and your bosses and your colleagues. Culture, for us, there's only four people in our business, culture is everything. If the people that have been there the longest aren't happy, or the people who are there full stop aren't happy and say something to us, it's up to us as directors to do something about it. And I think it comes back to, you spend so much time there, there, there will be good times and bad times, but if the good times outweigh the bad and you have the support of your directors and the culture's right, people will stay or they'll go, or you will 
unfortunately have to manage them out. But you want the status quo. You want people to rock up, love being at work, love what they do, and being in that supportive environment. And yep. that's something as hard as, hard as, it, as it is for me, because it's not my natural person, personality to say that person's not right mm -hmm. for our business, yep. you have to do it. You've got to step up and say, this isn't good. Yep. Other people are not happy. I'm not happy coming to work. We're not a good fit for them. They're not a good fit for us. But I think if you let it fester, and this has happened, it, it causes all, all sorts Performance of issues. Performance issues across the board. Yeah, Is absolutely. there something I need to know? Because I've got a job. <laughs> In this small team of four, yeah, yeah it seems yeah. like so, maybe the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as a director, you need to know what's happening in your business and you need to be there. You need to speak yep. to your people yep. regularly and say, are we happy? Yep. Is everyone okay? Yep. Like, so be in that moment. I think moment. the point that I would make on this, right, is that it's awesome when you have leaders who are about managing culture from the top because culture is formed in workplaces from the top. Yeah. We like very often as leaders to say, no, 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 it's my people. They're, they're upsetting things, but culture is formed and there's bucket loads of research and it comes from the top. So for any licensees and directors and leaders in this room, if you have a cultural environment that's not fitting or not working for you, it's actually your fault, just telling it like it is. But that doesn't mean that it can't be fixed, that it can't be improved. And I also say to the people who are working in more junior ranks, who have leaders who don't seem to prioritise organisational culture, that you can advocate for cultural change in your workplaces. And it's actually your responsibility to do so. Because sometimes when you're running a business, you just don't have your eye on the culture ball. It's just not the priority because the priority is getting money in the bank and the priority is paying your staff wages and your priority is keeping the lights on and the doors open, okay? So if your staff come to you and say, I have an issue and I need you to solve this, then you can have a moment to tackle that as a leader. Or, guys, I want more consultation when we hire staff. That's what I want. That's why I work here, I love this team, I want to stay in this team, but if you keep making people decisions without your people, I'm questioning why I'm working for you. And have those really blunt discussions and the more you do it, you're building culture and you're contributing to that and you're setting expectations in your workplace. You do it a little bit here and you do it a little bit here and you start to do it and it snowballs and then that cultural change is actually suggested from below, implemented from above and cascades down. So that's my very short answer on that. So yeah, so what I guess that that but that it's enabled by by management 
doing not much, right? So the fact that it's permissive and the fact that we allow it to happen is actually why it's happening. So it feels like it's festering from this one central point. It's still being permitted to occur by leadership and management and then cascading down. Yes, please. We have a few more than four staff. We've got about 55 staff in yep. one office. Lots of females, lots of female reps. Yep. I think when it comes to culture, and it's, our, it's a massive focus for us, yep. I just think that culture has to be a bigger vision. Yeah. I don't think you... And we, for us, if we got bogged down on worrying if everyone was happy every minute of every day, mm -hmm. we wouldn't win. No one would win. We'd all get caught up in these silly... Because people have bad days. Totally. 55 staff. Everyone is not going to love everyone. No. You all have to be polite. You all have to be respectful. We do. We try and do a number of functions every year because yep. we... We're at a size that we can do a lot of cool stuff for our guys. But you have to be part of the bigger vision. So if you're getting bogged down in, she doesn't like her and I'm really sorry, we've hired this girl that you don't like, you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. Like yep. you're part of the bigger team. Yep. If we're going to get caught up worrying about you've had a really crap day, which I get it, we're going to focus and we're all here to support each other as a team. Yep. But we wouldn't get any work done. Totally. So and we, I guess it's bigger I think, than that. Um, different teams and different cultures function in different ways and that's the beauty of, of organisational culture, right? No one culture is the same as the next. And that's why it's interesting and that's why different workplaces will thrive in different market conditions for different reasons, different team sizes, all of those things. And when I say that cultural office culture has to be managed, I'm not suggesting that you all have to be singing kumbaya and happy clappy and loving each other because that's not what it is. Um, it's about being able to be respectful, being able to share a mutual respect for your peers and for yourself, being able to meet sort of the basic kind of criteria of commitment that you've sort of given each other and, um, and going from there. So I think that, you know, I wouldn't want to suggest that you have to be best friends and friends on Facebook and chat on the weekends. But um, I, I'd, I, I think we could keep on going kind of for the entire day and I think that that sort of serves to address the two major issues that were highlighted. The only other final thing that I wanted to say on work-life balance, because it has come up quite significantly and quite regularly today, is that I, I've got some pretty like recent experience on this kind of work-life work -life balance kind of battle that we face. And coming out of what, I, of, of what I've had to personally face, have realised that there are certain things in life that I must do. I just must do. And yep, those things are working in our family business, those things are the sort of the charitable pursuits that I'm working on privately, and those things are my family, and those things are really important to me. And, and they come to fulfil me as a whole, and all of them play a part. But to suggest that I could just go to my job, come home, turn it off, and it doesn't play. And people who are passionate and in their roles for life and build careers in areas separate this idea of work-life balance into just balance. You need to find balance across the board. And things that you're doing productively at times will be work-focused and sometimes they'll be personal-focused and it will ebb and flow and the focus will shift, but one should inform the other. One should enhance the other and together we kind of find a balance. But to say that it has to be work and life, I think, simplifies it because there's so much more than that and the two work and life, they work together. So that would be my final point on that. Thank you so much for your contributions. I've got so much out of this day. I've loved it. Thank you, Peter, for inviting me. Awesome work. Thanks for tuning into The Crunch. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. So if you'd like to share them, please email me at jess at cribcreative.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed the show and share it with anyone else you think might like it.